Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. This morning, I don't know, I don't know what I want to call this message. I think I'm going to call it surprise. Um, surprise! How many of you love surprises? Any, anybody in here that just loves a surprise? How many of you hate surprises? There are those people. Um, how many of you would say, I just like surprises when I like them, right? Like, that's the middle ground there. I like them when I like them, and I don't like them when I don't like them. Um, this is a surprise. What, what gets me um, this morning, and, and Wes was so right. Wes, this morning in our, in our prayer time, uh, he said, you know, for us as believers, like every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Isn't that true? Like, it's not like just this Sunday is the only Sunday we can celebrate that Jesus is alive, and every other Sunday is like, well, I wonder what's going on with Jesus today. Like, like he is alive, and this is what, like, is so crazy that, that at some point there's this moment when you really realize that Jesus really, really is alive. And the way, it, like, it hit me one day is when they realized, like, I don't, some of you know my dad, some of you don't, but this morning... Can anyone see my dad? You can't, because he's, he's pastoring a church up in Cassville. Um, it's a good church, but you like this one a lot, if you live that direction. Um, it's a great church. But this morning, my dad is alive. He's very real. He's very alive. He's just not right here. Um, Jesus is just as alive as my dad this morning. The difference being my dad's spirit is contained in his body, and the spirit of our Lord is omnipresent which is a pretty big difference. That's why my dad's not God and Jesus is. Right? Jesus is alive this morning. And uh, I woke up and started thinking about the chance to get to tell you guys about it. And what, what gets me when I read the stories of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is how many times Jesus invited people to his resurrection party and no one even planned on showing up. Like, how many times did Jesus say, I'm going to rise from the dead, and people just didn't get it? And sometimes it says they just didn't understand, or like, what is he talking about? Like, they didn't understand, they didn't get it, but sometimes it was very, very clear. If you turn with me to Mark chapter 8, we're going to look at a few of these times. I can understand some of them, because if you... Don't go there, I'll just read it to you. In John chapter 3, or chapter 2, Jesus says this to the Jews. Um, they said, well, they asked him, said, what sign are you going to show us, Jesus, to prove, you know, prove you are who you say you are? And Jesus answered them, and he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple. Right? And you think you're going to raise it up and... Three days? Now, that's real vague, right? I could, I could get that they didn't understand that. I could get that. And then there's another time in, in Matthew chapter 12, you're taking notes, when they actually, they actually ask for a sign. Like, Jesus, give us a sign. And Jesus, he responds. He says, no sign shall be given but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was in 
was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man uh, three days and three nights be in the heart of the earth. Now, I can get that being vague too, right? Like, okay, so what are you, what are you trying to say here, Jesus? Like, you're going to destroy a temple or that you're going to, uh, you're gonna, there's something about a fish or a sea monster or I don't understand. Um, I think one of my favorites is in John chapter 12, and, and this one I would recommend going reading later today because it's kind of an anchor for the rest of what we'll be talking about. In John chapter 12, Jesus answers them. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, that's also another big reference to Jesus dying and raising again and bearing much fruit. All these are vague references to his death and his resurrection. But these aren't the only times that Jesus talks about raising from the dead. What I love about this last passage, it actually shows the heart of who Jesus was. That is to truly, truly save your life, you have to let it go. How many of you have known that from experience? That the things you try to hang on to and control and the things you try to put under your jurisdiction for some reason those things tend to be the things that radically fly out of control and the things that you just let go and let god it's amazing it's amazing what he does and so i want to show you three invitations that jesus gave to this resurrection party um, beginning in mark chapter 8 these are very clear in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, says, And Jesus began to teach them. He began to what? Now, if you're teaching someone, are you vague? No. He began to teach them, what? That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now, is there any metaphor or parable in here with this? Nothing about sea monsters or wells or grains of wheat or temples. And just in case you're not sure, look at verse 32. And he said this plainly. Right? It's like, it's like Mark was like, I know sometimes Jesus talked in parables, but this one, this one he said plainly. He said plainly. And this is what happens. He said it so plainly that what happened? Peter took him aside and rebuked him. And just in case you're not sure, young people, what that word rebuke means, it means he griped him out. He said, there's no way that's going to happen to you, Jesus. I will not let that happen to you, Jesus. And, and Peter put his money where his mouth is on this one. But turning and seeing the disciples, like Jesus turned and saw, so here's Peter rebuking him. He's looking over at his disciples seeing this. He rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's rough. Have you been griped out in front of your friends before? Anybody? Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's rough. But Jesus didn't stop there. So he, he gripes Peter out with the disciples standing right there, and then he does this. Listen to this. 
and calling the crowds to him with the disciples. He said, hang on a second. Hey, everybody, come here. Because I need to address something right now. Something he saw in Peter, he realized was probably in the hearts of every other person standing around. He said, everybody, come here. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Now, I just think that um, that's a little bit bold of Jesus, if you will. Can you imagine? Like, sometimes it makes me feel bad. Sometimes when I have like, usually I have my messages kind of planned out a few weeks in ahead or whatever. I'm going to do this, this Sunday, and this Sunday. And then during that week, like something happens to Brennan, right? And I'm like, oh crap, I'm preaching that on, preaching about that this Sunday. Brennan's going to think I'm preaching straight at him the whole time. And maybe, or maybe I am, I don't know. But, but like it just comes up. But can you imagine what I, what I try not to do is like, well, I'm going to go hang out with Brennan today and see what I need to preach on Sunday. How would you feel if the pastor did that? Like, like, even more so, like, I'm talking to you before church, and then I get up and I completely change my message based on my conversation with you. You'd be offended. Right? And it's crazy because in churches we have, growing up, I, I grew up in a pastor's home, and I would hear two complaints uh, about our church sometimes. Is, is one, the pastor preaches right at me, or two, I'm just not getting fed in that church. Well, which one do you want? Which one do you want? Here's Jesus talking about changing his message. Jesus is preaching a sermon about Peter to everybody else. How do you think Peter felt right then? What was Jesus' intent, though? Was it to make Peter feel small? Or was it to bring life out of these guys? Because guess what? They don't get it. You can also see this exact same uh, passage, if you're taking notes, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, and Luke chapter 9, verse 21. It's the exact same story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the Synoptic Gospels. They have a lot of the same stories in them, those three. John, he comes at it from a completely different angle. I think it's so important, when I'm thinking about this, how, like, important accountability is how many know accountability isn't fun sometimes right here's jesus holding peter accountable in front of everyone Uh, my question for you is who are your friends who do you allow to call you out on your stuff or or all your friends just an echoing chamber for things you like i know i have friends some of in this room sometimes they tell me things i don't like and pastor drew i'm not sure that's right well, that's what I like. Well, I don't care if that's what you like. You're a man of God, and I'm going to call you to greatness. I don't want to be a man of God today. Too bad. Okay, fine. How I many know the flesh sometimes gets in the way? The Spirit's willing, but what? Flesh is weak, man. And, and I would like you to just take a moment and examine your friend list for a second. Who do you allow to call you out? Do you have a, a spiritual covering in your life? Do you have friends around you that can say, hey, this is not the way it should be? Flip over to, uh, let's go to Matthew, or Mark, sorry, stay in Mark chapter 9. 
you might just be able to flip the page because that was the first time Jesus invites them to his resurrection. That's the first invitation. Here's the second in Mark chapter 9, verse 30. You can also find this in Matthew 17, 22 and Luke 9, 43. It's the exact same story. But in Mark 9, verse 30, it says, they went on from there and passed through Galilee. Say Galilee. Okay, maybe you don't know the region very well, but it'll be important later. So they passed through Galilee. Say Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching, say teaching, his disciples saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he was killed, after three days, he will rise. Seems pretty plain to me. But guess what it says? But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. We don't get what you're saying. Are you? And, and here's the reality. I don't, I don't think it was like they didn't understand like the words coming out of his mouth. They kind of didn't. But it was like Jesus was doing such incredible things, right? He was healing the sick. He was raising the dead. He was the Messiah. And in their minds, in their minds, Jesus was going to usher in a kingdom where they would get to maybe have some authority. You know how I know that? Look at their response in verse 33. It says, when they came to Capernaum and he was in the house, he asked them, what were you guys talking about on the way? I saw you guys kind of, after I told you that I was going to die, and rest, you guys were discussing something. What were you discussing? But they kept silent. Why? Because they're embarrassed. For on the way, they had talked about what? Who was the greatest? Didn't Jesus already address this earlier? The last time he gave his invitation? When Peter's like, we're never going to let anything happen. And he sat down and called the twelve and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all. He must be a servant to all. And then he takes a kid and he's like, look, here's the example. A kid. That's the example. That's the second time Jesus tells him he's going to rise after three days. Flip over to Mark 10. It's really close here. This is all happening real quick. Uh, 10, 32. You can also find this in Matthew 20, verse 17, and Luke 18, uh, 31. But in Luke chapter 10... It might even say it in your Bible. Jesus foretells his death for a third time. In verse 32, it says, And when they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. You know why they were afraid? Because he'd been talking about this death thing for a little bit. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days he will rise. In three days he will rise. This is going to happen. 
Now, do you remember their response the last two times he talked about this? What was it? Well, I think I'm pretty great. Well, that means your kingdom's coming, Jesus. And you're going to need some helpers, and I'm a pretty good helper. Jesus, I'm pretty awesome. So look what happens in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I'm going to die and rise in three days. Okay? Hey, Jesus, I want you to do whatever I say. This is not the kind of stuff Jamie was talking about a little bit ago, where he would give you the desires of your heart. Now, this was not a godly desire right here. And he said to them, uh, he said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, we want to sit at your right and your left in glory. And Jesus is like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like, you don't, are you, are you going to be able to go through the things that I'm going to go through? And then they're like, yeah. And he's like, well, you, you, you will be able to, but you have no clue what that even is. You know, you have no clue how hard that's going to be. And when the other disciples find out that they asked it, I mean, they are irate. They are irate and they're angry. And Jesus has to go back and reteach this whole thing all over again. How many are thankful that, that our Lord is a Lord that's okay with teaching us the same thing over and over and over? Some of you are like, man, I, I feel like God keeps keep saying the same thing over. He's trying to get you to get it. Because if you look in verse 43, it says, but whoever uh, would be great among you must also must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must to be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was telling them very explicitly, I will rise from the dead after three days. And all they kept hearing was, oh, God's kingdom's coming. I'm going to be awesome. It's not about you. It's not about you. God, God threw a party and nobody showed up. It wasn't a secret. You know how I know it wasn't a secret? You can write this down in Matthew 27. It says the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered to Pilate saying, Sir, remember while he was still alive? How that deceiver, as Jesus said, after three days I will rise. Therefore command the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people he has risen from the dead. So that the last deception will be worse than the first. Like, this wasn't a secret. Even people who weren't following Jesus knew that he claimed he would rise from the dead in three days. And how many people went to the tomb on the third day to see Jesus rise from the dead? There's people that went, but they didn't go to see Jesus rise from the dead. You know how I know? Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, it says this, But on the first day of the week, 
at early dawn, they went to the tomb. This is the women taking the spices they had prepared. I want you to pause. Why did they take spices? Because in that culture, in that day and age, what you would do is you would visit the body early in the morning. It was someone's job to visit the body early in the morning and put the spices, the fragrances on the dead body so that when other people came and visited throughout the day, it wouldn't stink. So, so they went to cover the shame of the death of this man. That was their whole purpose of going. They weren't going to ex- expecting a risen Savior at all. They were going expecting to find a stinking, decomposing man. Why didn't they expect to see a risen Jesus after he had told them over and over and over again that he would rise from the dead? Because it's crazy, guys. It's crazy to think someone would raise themselves up from the, bit, from the dead. Like it's never happened before. Now Jesus raised some other people from the dead. But for someone to raise themselves up? And you've heard me talk about it before. The manner in which they watched the Son of God be crucified. The pain and the torture and the violence He suffered. How could anyone suffer that? And he's there hanging on the cross, bloody, beaten, naked. Shameful. The Romans had invented the most shameful way to torture someone to death. And he's hanging there. And as he's hanging there, he sees his mom standing in the crowd. And she's seeing Jesus like, here is the the Son of God. She's seen him do miracles. She's seen him raise the dead. She's seen him heal the sick. She's hearing people mock him and beat him and make fun of him. And it's not just the son of God that she's seeing. It's it's her son. It's her kid. The one that she carried in her womb. That she nursed at her breast. The one that when he got lost, she was worried about. It's her kid. And he hangs there in shame. He looks down at John and says, John, take my mom home. She doesn't need to see this. What we see now is this incredibly hopeless situation emerging as Jesus is hanging on the cross. John grabs Jesus' mom and escorts her off so she doesn't have to witness one of the most disgusting, humiliating ways to kill someone in human history. And there's chaos and there's hopelessness. It's not just John now who's gone. Judas has now hung himself because he realizes how awful the thing he's done is. Betraying Jesus. And now Judas, one of Jesus' closest disciples, has killed himself, committed suicide. Thomas has run off somewhere. He's missing. Peter, who one of Jesus' right-hand guys, he's cussing people out when they say, yeah, you were with Jesus And he's gone. It's a completely hopeless situation. Has anyone in here ever felt just completely hopeless before? Like, there is no way anything good could come of this situation. There is no way this will ever get better. I've been there. I've been there more than once. 
Like, I'm telling you, it didn't matter how many times Jesus told them, I will rise from the dead. The situation seemed so completely impossible and hopeless, they were never going to show up to that tomb. And the best they could come up with is, let's cover up this shameful situation with some spices. And that's what we do, right? When we end up in a hopeless, shameful position, like, let's just find the best thing we can to make it smell a little better. And that's where we live, in the middle of our, our hopelessness. But how many of you know, hopelessness isn't, isn't a deal breaker for God. Like, your hopelessness doesn't stop him. Your doubt doesn't keep him from doing what he wants to do. Watch this. In verse 2, it says, And they found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed, say perplexed. Say perplexed. I got to teach my daughter what the word perplexed meant this morning as we were reading this. Perplexed. They were amazed and confused. They were perplexed about this. And behold, two men stood in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? I love that. Why are you looking for someone who's alive amongst a bunch of dead people? He is not here, but he has risen. This morning, ladies and gentlemen, he has risen. Listen to this. Remember how he told you while you were still in Galilee? Remember Galilee? Remember? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what he was talking about. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. And I love verse 8. You need to highlight verse 8. This verse 8 will change your life. And they remembered his words. I'm telling you, when life is hopeless and every situation seems impossible, you're only going to find peace when you remember his words he said he would bring you through whatever you're walking through and i know it doesn't seem like he will and doesn't i know it doesn't seem like he can but if you'll just remember his words you'll find peace you'll find hope you'll find life and returning from the tomb these women they they told him and it and it says that the disciples were like they just thought it was like an idle tale they're like these these ladies are just being hysterical like they have no clue what they're talking about but peter he gets up and he's like what is going on he runs over there the scripture says worship team can you join me up here it says he goes and looks and we know from other accounts that he's going to have an encounter with the risen savior what i love then is this account of the road to emmaus these guys they're leaving jerusalem after this big festival and everything and they're just walking along and as they're walking along it says, I love it, in verse 17, it says, like, Jesus comes up, and they don't recognize him. Like, they don't recognize him. And you've heard me preach on this before. Is like, how could they recognize him? Like, how badly he was beaten? He was bruised the way they tore him up and whipped him? How could it just be a guy that's walking down the road? They didn't recognize him. And I don't believe it was some sort of like 
supernatural thing like you don't recognize me now Jedi mind trick thing I just think they just like there's no way this could be him because we saw him die and when he asked them what they were talking about it just says in, in verse 17 it says they stopped walking they just stopped and they just got really sad like they just their hearts were broken guys because this guy that they thought was going to cure all the ills of the world had died. And they're like, aren't you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? To Jesus. You've got to be the only one that doesn't know what's going on. That had to be the funniest moment in Jesus' entire existence. Like, you don't think I know what's going on? Hold on a second. And then Jesus spends the next hour, two hours, however long it took them to walk on this road, teaching them about himself, and they still don't get it. Like, they still don't get it. And when they finally realize who he is, they say, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? And when they ran back to Jerusalem, they said this, and I love this, they said, the, in verse 34, the Lord has risen indeed. Like, here's the ladies. They ran up and said, the Lord has risen. And these guys ran up and said, no, no, the Lord has risen indeed. Like, this is a real thing. That's why I love it. I love in church history, if you look back, that's, that's the cry from generations past. As someone will say, Christ is risen. The response will be, Christ is risen indeed. Because it's two people with an experience. I saw Jesus Hey, I saw Jesus too. Facebook, I told the, the leaders, Facebook blocked me this morning um, for spamming, not religious persecution. Because every time I saw someone put, he has risen, I put, he has risen indeed on their post. Because I was just excited. I did it about 30 times and Facebook's like, you're done. For the day. I'm like, oh man. So I can't. He is risen indeed anymore. I can do it to you guys. He's risen indeed. Like Jesus is risen indeed. And you know, I've experienced him. Like I know him. Like he's just alive today as my dad is and my kids are and as you are. Like Jesus is alive. And in verse 36, Jesus is in infinite grace and mercy. He appears to his disciples. Finally. Finally, he appears to his core group. And his first words to them are peace to you. Like, like the first thing I want to give you is peace. Like these guys had messed up. They had denied Jesus. They turned their back on him. They had cursed people out. When they said, you were with him. I don't even know him. They had scattered. And his first thing to them is peace to you. Hey, peace to you. And that's the way some, some of us, we've lived such bad lives away from Christ. Some of us have done some stuff we're completely ashamed of. And I'm going to tell you this morning, the risen Savior's first words to you are peace to you. Peace to you. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? 
What's crazy is he goes on to rebuke them gently, but he rebukes them. And his rebuke isn't, why did you guys turn your back on me? Why did you deny me? It had nothing. It was their unbelief that he was rebuking them for. Listen, it was just their unbelief. Like their hearts were troubled. That word means their hearts were, were stirred up and shifty. That's what that word means in the Greek. Like they're troubled and then and doubts. And, and the word doubt doesn't mean like, like, I'm just not sure if I believe that. Like that word doubt actually means like calculated reason thought. Like they came to the conclusion that Jesus was actually dead. They reasoned it in their mind to believe something different. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to believe something fake today. Nobody does that. You didn't do it. Everyone thinks everything they think is right. That's why you think it. He says, why are you troubled and why do you doubt? He's saying, what is the purpose of your unbelief? Why are you unbelieving? Listen, do you realize that when you wander off into sin, it's because you're not believing in Jesus in that moment. You're believing in whatever things in front of you that you think will make you feel good. Jesus, the only thing he addresses is their unbelief. And this morning, do you realize the scripture is very clear? To receive the kingdom of God, all you have to do is believe on his name. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's pretty simple. Well, what do I have to do? Nothing. It's not of works so that no one can boast. All you have to do is believe in his name. And I just love it because Jesus in 46, he just... He just decides to remind him one more time. He says, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. What he's saying is, see guys, I told you I was going to rise from the dead on the third day and here I am. And now let me tell you why. So you could change your mind. Repentance, it means to change your mind so you could stop the unbelief so you can believe in me and you can have forgiveness of sins. All the shame you carry, all the hopelessness you carry, you don't have to carry it anymore. Because there's life and there's hope in Jesus Christ. And this morning, I can tell you, me, myself, I've walked through seasons of hopelessness. And I've had people of God come to me and say, the Lord's going to get you through. And in the moment, it didn't seem like he would. Can I tell you something? The Lord has brought me through. And some of you are the same way. Like the Lord's faithfulness doesn't depend on how doubtful or undoubtful you are. But He does want to address the doubt in your heart. I'm telling you, you'll have way more peace in life if you just believe today. Will you stand with me? If you just close your eyes for a moment. I know this story isn't new to anybody probably in the room. But what I pray, the cry of my heart, was that it would hit you in a new way this morning. That Jesus is alive. That 2,000 years ago, He rose from the dead. That He is God manifested in the flesh 
And he did it so you could have life, so you could walk in peace, so the hopelessness could be put away. All it takes is one thing, for you to believe in his name. Believe in him. Romans tells us if you confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus, this morning I just want to say I believe. I believe in your resurrection. I believe you're alive today. And there's hope and there's life in you. Father God, right now I just pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room, Lord, that's doubting, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would come and grab their heart. Lord God, this morning they would just choose to believe, Lord God. That they would change their mind and believe the good news of Jesus Christ this morning. God, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Lord God, that just like the disciples, sometimes we're a wreck, we're a mess, God. We do the wrong thing, we run the other way. God, we thank you, Lord, that your calling is without repentance, that you don't change your mind about us, that you don't give up on us, that you continue to call and say, come home, come home, come home. And this morning, I pray if there's anyone here, Lord God, whether they've been going to this church for years, if there's the, the first Sunday in this room, Father God, but Jesus, they would surrender their hearts to you and they would come home to you. Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.